When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. Oh, oh, what's that? Curve, and done. Russo's in there. That will do it for Manchester United. Beckman standing in the zone and scores a stunning goal. Hello and welcome to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast. And that's it. It's all over. It's a contrast of emotions, elation and devastation. Share a pitch. It's a glorious four in a row for Chelsea. While Reading's eight-year stay in the WSL is over. For the penultimate episode, it is me, Lindsay Hooper, here with The Athletic's Harriet Drudge. Hello, Harriet. Hi, Lindsay. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I think relief. I mean, Emma Hayes said that she felt (laughs) relief. I feel relief, big style too, getting to the end of a season. And because we both work in football, I'm guessing you do too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Final day of WSL, final day of the Premier League. It's always always a lot to play for, uh, a lot of emotions, uh, both on the pitch, off the pitch and in the stands, in press boxes. Yes, very, very relieved to be at the end of the season. Well, Charlotte Harper's checked out already. <laughs> That's how much she's been, been on the task for about nine months. But she won her bet with Chloe Morgan. So Chelsea are champions. Reading were relegated. And we haven't seen that before on the final day where it's actually the opposition in that game that get relegated at the hands of the champions being crowned. You were at Prenton Park and you were watching that title slip away from United, Harriet. What was the atmosphere like over there? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, um, say slip away. It it didn't really feel like that. I think there was almost a bit of resignation that that was what was going to happen. It was going to be a second place finish rather than a title win. And, you know, I was checking, checking the phone in the first kind of 20 minutes for the Chelsea score, but then gave up when I saw that a couple of, you know, the goals had been started to go in. So on the final whistle, do you know what? It wasn't, it wasn't any sort of disappointment really that you could discern from the squad on the pitch. Mark Skinner was incredibly upbeat. If you'd have offered him and the squads, uh, you know, an FA Cup final, second place finish and, you know, taking, taking the title race to the final day at the beginning of the season, they'd have absolutely snapped your hand off. The atmosphere was was a really, really good one, really positive from both sets of fans. Obviously, it's a building rivalry in, in WSL, Liverpool and Man United. Yeah, it was it was a really upbeat final day, even though it didn't quite go the way that Man United fans would have hoped for. An indicator for the future that we've got a disruptor here. We've got we've got a team that are going to be hopefully doing things in the Champions League going forward, doing things in the title race. Um, so exciting times, I think, for the league as a whole to see Manchester United finish in that second place. 
in terms of atmosphere, I did want to chip in with some um, some observations from Reading because very early doors, the sky trucks are there the day before. There's, there's some people that get there, you know, nine o'clock in the morning for a 2.30 kickoff. And I was getting messages through at nine, 9.30 saying Chelsea fans are already here. So the excitement for them of wanting to see their team crown champions for a fourth successive year was what contributed to Reading also getting a record crowd for the final day. But we have to give the credit to that away support because it's not a long distance to travel, but four and a half thousand fans pretty much uh, from Chelsea's side of things went there. And it was lovely looking out from the opposite side of the stand to what looked like a full stand at the Select Car Leasing Stadium. So credit to all of those travelling supporters. We will come on to Reading and the disappointment there. I know that that's panged for a lot of people who've enjoyed women's football for a long time. Eight seasons they've been in the top flight and the job that Kelly Chambers has done. We'll get on to that. Later as well, we've got a clip from an exclusive interview with Manchester United's hot property, or should I be saying... Barcelona's new hot property on a badger. I'll also be reflecting on the season with the FA's outgoing director of the women's professional game, Kelly Simmons. Right, let's get stuck in. Ball, looking for Kerr, and Kerr's in here. It's Sam Kerr. This could finish it. And Kerr off the post. And of course, she's finishing it off. Of course, who else? Final day. You know that Sam Kerr's going to score a goal. It, I already thought that. Uh, she scored two, though to seal the title for Chelsea. Uh, let's give the first word to Chelsea superfan Kerry Evans. I was proud on Saturday watching Chelsea lift the title. Following them up and down the country, you live all the highs and lows with the team. So to see them lift the trophy and celebrate with all the fans after was a special moment. I've seen Chelsea win six titles now and each have been different challenges, but this year is probably the most challenging to win. The league's getting more competitive We've had Emma missing games earlier in the season and we've had injuries to key players. What I think set Chelsea apart this season and previous season, they are mentality monsters. They never give up, they find a way to win and they bounce back from a disappointment. My standout player of the season is Guru Wrighton. She's been our most consistent player and like her song goes, there's nothing she can't do. Her insists and goals contributions was one of the main reasons why we won the league she was such an important player for us this season. An interesting way to finish that one. We always want to hear from super fans. Get in touch with us throughout the course of the season. We've got one more show to go uh, for this season. Next time as well, save that hashtag AthleticWFP and get in touch. Finishing on the, the Guru Wrighton uh, comment, we will come on to that, Harriet, because I'm sure you've got your own thoughts as well on the Footballer of the Year awards. And there have been quite a few and quite a few vying for that as well. But let's come back and row back to Chelsea a minute because you look down the history books and it will say four consecutive titles for Emma Hayes, six WSL titles overall. They look dominant. And I think she would even agree that the fine margins, you never get to see that when you're when you're flicking back in years to come. But she obviously knows that it's gone down to the final day a couple of times. And also when it comes to results, it's been much closer. Would you say it has been more about fine margins? Yeah, I definitely say so. And like like you just mentioned, it's come down to the final day in three of the last four seasons. Obviously, the the one before that they won on a points per game basis due to COVID. But you know they've not run away with the league every single time. They might have the the big score lines scattered around during a season. You know, the seven nils here and there. But it's the it's the the results where they've been grinding them out 
So one that really sticks out to me with Chelsea recently was the 2-1 win against Liverpool. Uh, I was at that game and it was one of those where they went behind early and everything that they were doing for a, a period of time looked like they just weren't going to score. But they're just so relentless. And I think Kerry mentioned it earlier when she was talking about following the team up and down the country. They're mentality monsters. And that's one of the things that has set them apart from other teams in the league this season. And it's something that Manchester United have spoken about too. Mark Skinner has been pretty vocal about his his rebels in his his team and them being mentality monsters this year. And I think that's something that we've seen a bit of a shift from them. So if you are going to go on to win titles, it is about having that belief, that mentality that you can win the games where you're not playing well. The other thing to talk about is the Dynasty article that Flo Lloyd-Hughes has done about Emma Hayes, Harriet. And she talks about how she's got these six WSL titles, twice as many as any other side, one with a record points total. But the key thing I wanted to hone down on was this point that she makes about Hayes chasing down Vic Akers' <laughs> 11 league titles. Now, I sat down with Emma Hayes uh, last week and she was talking to me about Vic Akers and his influence on her. But she also gave me the impression that she is quite fragile at the moment. And if you poked her just too much about her future. I'm not sure that we would definitely get a yes, I'm staying on. And and I wonder whether there's a limit to what Emma Hayes is going to do. I, I think 11 WSL titles. Can you see her staying on another five? Because I, I think it's more of a one to two year thing now. Yeah, I I mean, it's it's been the last couple of seasons where she's almost been a bit non-committal at the end of a season. And, and I mean, we've we had a chat about it just at the beginning of the show then that, you know, seasons are, are hard, let alone for, you know, for us and let alone for a manager. So I can't see her necessarily staying for, you know, 11 league titles because obviously she's five away, but it wouldn't necessarily be just five years, especially with how competitive the league is now. But I mean, obviously we want to see Emma Hayes in the game for as long as possible and she's been uh, incredible for the game. But, you know, it's a very, uh, it's an all-consuming job and, you know, she needs to take the, the right decision for her and she, you know, had to had to take a break earlier on this season uh, after her emergency hysterectomy. And, you know, that will be a big consideration for her as well. She's got a young young family as well. So, yeah, we'll see whether she continues, but it will be great to see her either way, whether she's a manager or just staying involved in the game in another form. What we did see from those four WSL games where she was recovering from that emergency hysterectomy is that everything she's put in place at Chelsea means that there is this structure and, and she's built this over a period of many, many years. But if she removes herself, it will still work. And okay, we know that was only for a, a period of a month, but I do think that whatever happens going forward, whether it's a, another few seasons for her or whether she does chase down those 11 WSL titles that vicaker has got, when she does depart, whenever that may be, the club will be in a really good place. I know in the interview she spoke about Gino Clock. Just in case anyone was wondering when you're on the pitch, we had to do a bit of digging on this. And there is an article from Katie Wyatt talking about what goes into a, a title lift. Uh, they don't actually celebrate with champagne on the pitch. It is sparkling rose water, in case any of you are wondering. And that's just in case of different players' religions as well, whether they want to drink alcohol or not. Um, judging by some of their Instagrams, though, Harriet, I think they enjoyed alcohol, quite a lot of them, later <laughs> on in the night. They've worked really hard for that. And it's uh, it's they've done the double now. So enjoy it while you can. And you've got a World Cup coming up in the, in the summer. So they need to kind of take those moments uh, while they can. 
And this brings us on perfectly to my favourite player of the season, which is Guru Wrighton. Uh, if you haven't seen the video where she she actually teases Emma into shot to dance as they're having <laughs> a party and it's actually going out live. And she's just cheeky, isn't she? She's just got that element to her. I, I love speaking to her post-match as well. If you haven't seen uh, that doing the rounds on socials yet, you can go to Sky WSL feed and, um, and you've got that interview in full. Uh, she just l- is loving life. 11 assists. She obviously set up the first one in this game. And I always thought that the first goal would be the hardest when the pressure is on. The Footballer of the Year award, you know, Michael Cox has said that he thinks Guru Wrighton should have got it. I actually voted for her. I did get a vote in the Football Writers Awards and I, I did put mine to Guru because I think she's been the most consistent player for Chelsea. And I did think that Chelsea would go on to win the title and you have to reflect in the awards, you have to reflect them. But of course, it's been a great year as well for Rachel Daly. She has got the Barclays Player of the Year Award. You can't really argue with that when she's moved position as well, Harriet. Uh, Sam Kerr, who went up and collected that award for a second year in a row at the Football Writers. Where were your thoughts when it comes to, to players that should be getting all the accolades? Yeah, similar, really. I think, you know, Guru, like you say, it's, it's just she's incredibly consistent and she's a player that when she's on the ball as a kind of opposition I imagine you're you're just dreading it really get her getting the ball because you you know that that left foot that she has and the assists that she can provide or the the goals that she can score you just don't know uh, where where the threat's going to come from really with her one thing that Michael did point out in his article was also that even though she's been playing on the wing quite a lot is that she doesn't really dribble much uh, she only took on, she only completed 27% of her attempted take-ons this year and that kind of demonstrates that she's all about the pass and move she's about getting her head up mm-hmm. and playing the ball and working with her teammates so not only is she able to contribute in a way where she's scoring goals or she's providing assists she's always looking for the teammate who's in the best position and to help the team that way so that's something that's you know really made her stand out this season and yeah, I mean, I think I concur with with you and with Michael that, that she should be, you know, right up there competing for the the player of the season because of that. Quite often, though, it is those who score the goals and those who uh, have historically scored the goals who who get quite a lot of the accolades. And obviously, Sam Kerr's been been chipping in with a lot of goals this season as well. It might not have been her best season. Uh, in terms of her all-round game but she has scored important goals and Mm. yeah who can look past Rachel Daly coming back to the league she's been scoring for fun and nobody really necessarily would have predicted that at the beginning of the season especially given she'd been playing as a fullback during the during Mm. the summer with England so yeah it's been it's, it's been a bit of a difficult one to to call because there's actually been quite a lot of standout players for their individual teams I am a little bit biased, of course, as well. So I'm going to go for a player at Man United as well. Mary Earps has has maintained her consistency as well throughout the season, building on that really impressive Euros campaign with England. She's got a clean sheet record in WSL, 14 to win her the Golden Glove. And that's kind of been the bedrock of, of Man United's performances this season as well is you know they're keeping they've been keeping clean sheets, they've been not conceding many goals, and that kind of builds uh, throughout mm. the season and throughout I'm the also going to chip in though Harriet and say about Onabadja who we've, we've got a clip from her coming up in just a moment but I don't think she's 
ever got many plaudits mm. for the work that she's done at Manchester United. And I know from, from a fan perspective, they get very frustrated with the fact that she's not spoken about enough. I think you've already touched on it. I think sometimes it's the glory, isn't it? It's the goal scorers that get a lot of the credit. But for any neutral who didn't realise the job that Honor Badger does week in, week out at Manchester United, that FA Cup final, I thought she was superb. And yeah. so for that for that shop window to show people that maybe don't watch them as closely, I think she picked up lots of new admirers who, who just hadn't paid her enough attention before. And now, just as she's come to the forefront, and we're all thinking, Anna Badger, wow, she's 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 the best in her position in the league. She's going to Barca, and I feel oh, really deflated about it. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, I mean that that will be com- completely devastating if and when it happens. Uh, watching her this season and watching her uh, against Liverpool at the weekend. She's just always an option as well. Not only is she an incredible defender and she recovers well and she makes good tackles and she's she's in the way, which any good defender will be. She is always an outlet when United are on the on the attack. Um, mm. And she provides such quality into the box as well. Her crosses, her direct running, her taking on of players. She's just, yeah, she's been incredible for, for Manchester United uh, in, the, in her time at the club. Uh, if there I, is a way of salvaging this deal, I think they should throw some money at her because <laughs> I honestly think when we're talking next season, Harriet, that Manchester United will really suffer without her. And I think you'll really yeah. notice when she's not in that position. I agree. I agree. And, you know, and on the other side as well, Hannah Blundell, she picked up players, player of of the season. Um, and I think that is also kind of credit to Honor Batier as well, because she'll have been work they've been working together and developing uh that partnership really between those two attacking fullbacks because they've been a constant threat throughout the season. So yeah, it will be a huge, huge miss for Manchester United if if Ona is not at the club anymore. We'll see where that goes. We'll do more on Manchester United in just a moment, but we might as well hear from Manchester United star player, as I'm going to dub her on a badger anyway. She spoke to the Athletics' Katie Wyatt, and they were sat in a cafe in Manchester. Have you always liked running at players and taking players on? No. no. I mean, if you see when I came here, uh, in Spain as well, it's more often more usually like when you just pass pass but you don't really run with the ball uh, but I've just learned in England that sometimes as well you can carry the ball and just go like uh, yeah carrying the ball and I like to do it in, I'm lower than anyone so maybe yeah it's more it's not that usually often to see but <laughs> Is that something that did Casey or Mark say to you to do that more, or did you just... Um, it, yeah, it was Mark and Martin, like the second mm. coach as well, like both. They they kept saying to me, Yona, you are really good, you have the speed, uh, you can carry the ball like as much as possible. Like, they, they asked me to do it, basically, yeah. So in Barcelona, when you grew up in the academy and you said it was pass, 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 was a lot of that about close control and dribbling as well? Or not as much? Not as much. No. Not as much. Definitely not. For the reason, sometimes at the beginning when they were asking me, I was like, I don't know if that's my style. <laughs> but then I just, I, I really enjoy it, yeah. And it's nice. Yeah. Why did you always want to come to England? 
just because I felt it was a a, a good experience to know a different style, different football, to know the language and different culture. Felt it it, it was something that it would make me grow. What was that like the first time you got off the plane in England and you didn't speak any English? How did you feel? Well, I have to be honest, like when I came, like I, I was crying because <laughs> I didn't know. I was like, I was 20 years old and I was scared. Did you ever think, I hate this, I'm going back or not no, really properly? No, not at all. No, since the first moment, like with the club, with the con, like the club has been incredible with me. Like the tree that they gave me since the first moment it's incredible like I couldn't be as well as I couldn't be happier like everything like they gave me a translator Casey was always like how you feel and I had as well like the psychologist that we had in that moment everything I was really um, settled like I was really like feeling like I was home but at the same time it was hard because yeah. I couldn't speak English. Uh, the translator, was that in team meetings and around the club or was that? was everywhere. <laughs> Even in the pitch. Like I remember once that we were playing against Reading. That we, we won, I think, in the last minute or something like that. I remember that Casey was screaming to me and I didn't understand it. And the translator was screaming <laughs> to me like, Gona, doing that, saying the same but in Spanish. Oh wow! So, so it was, uh, it was, it was. I mean, now I laugh, but at that moment it was stressful. Yeah. <laughs> it amazes me, Harriet, when I listen to that and the fact that she didn't speak any English. The Casey Stoney tale. Two weeks ago, she was the post-match interview, and yes, I had to speak a bit slowly, but she was brilliant. I mean, she she completely got it. How do they pick up English so quick? I know you don't know the answer to this. It's just <laughs> my brain wants to know how it feels like uh, continental or European players, they come over to the league and they just pick up English so quickly. I know, it's incredible, isn't it? Not only are they honing their skills on the pitch, but they're having to learn a completely different language to be able to do their job in the first place. Because <laughs> as Anna mentioned, she's being shouted at by Casey and, and not knowing what she was wanting to do. So if your boss is yelling at you to tell you to do something and you don't know what to do that's quite tricky <laughs> well that interview with honor will be out in full on the athletic in the build-up to the world cup so you can get even more gems out of that chat um let's bring it back to united then who finished two points behind chelsea but harriet they were nine points ahead of arsenal and man city do you think that reflects the Manchester United quality this season or does it reflect the fact that Arsenal had all of those injuries and Man City they had that adjust adjusting period a transitional season with their squad I think it's a bit of both it's a fact that Manchester United have kind of stepped up their intensity this season their their mentality has changed as well they've kind of got the monkey off their back in a way of you know they've got some big results against some of the big teams they've beaten Manchester City for the first time in WSL they've they've done the double over Arsenal you know that doesn't happen by chance and it doesn't happen just because there are a few injuries here or there I know Arsenal have obviously had so many injuries but you've still got to win the match when it's in front of you and that's easier said than done when you look back at the results uh, throughout the WSL, the only teams that they've dropped points to 
were Everton uh, in that nil-nil draw, which is probably the thing that got them in the end uh, in terms of the title race. Manchester City in a draw and then two defeats against Chelsea. That's incredible. you know. And the, the next challenge, as Mark has spoken about, is beating Chelsea. They've not done it yet. And that's the thing three times this season, uh, twice in the league and once in the FA Cup final, they've lost. But the margins are getting closer and closer. So that's the next thing for them. And they'll have Champions League football to to manage next season too. So they'll need to do a bit of a bit of squad rotation and, you know, do a good job in the transfer market. Jonas Eideval was in the list for manager of the year partly for the way that he navigated Arsenal to still getting victories, even though there were huge absentees, those big injuries. I mean, is that the main blame for them, them not being in the title race come the end of the season? Would we say it is Kim Little, Leah Williamson, those two injuries just too, too far when you already had Mead and Miedemar out? I think it, it plays a massive part, doesn't it? It's quite, it's so disruptive. Uh, you have a way of playing. You have, you know, those connections on the pitch of you know who works well with each other and it's it's tricky when you lose one or two players but when you lose four or five that's when it starts to really affect the team uh, as a whole so to to get to where they got to in the Champions League and to finish in the top three is is an incredible achievement and I think you know that that's that's testament to Jonas and, and all the work that he's done at the club this season. As we were so glowing about honour earlier, I think we should also pay some respect to Hafaeli, who Flo Lloyd-Hughes broke the news on The Athletic that she will be leaving Arsenal. There was a lovely dynamic between her and Leah Williamson and that understanding and that centre-back pairing. It was so promising for the future. And that could prove to be really disruptive. So I think we're also, Harriet, going to have to keep an eye on transfers for Arsenal and when it comes to Man City as well, in case they want to add to that squad to try and keep up with the rest. Um, It's going to be an interesting summer ahead. Yeah, definitely. You feel like you're never going to concede when you're playing with a centre-back partnership that uh, just connected. Uh, So Arsenal have have work to do in the transfer market, as do Manchester City, as they look to kind of get back into the Champions League spots. Now to the bottom of the table and Reading, who got relegated at the hands of Chelsea. I say at the hands of Chelsea, but it wasn't just down to that game, Harriet. They they were relying on Leicester slipping up as well. This uh, this was lost for them a few games ago, wasn't it? And Kelly Chambers in her post-match interview was talking about the disparity between budgets, the job that she's had to do for the last eight years. Uh, very much mixed emotions as well because it was celebrating her 20 years at the club at the start of the match and at the end of the match, of course, having to commiserate for for being relegated and the club now having to play in the championship. What what were your takeaways from Reading this season? Do you think there was anything more they could have done? I think Reading have been punching above their weight for for a little while now and it's come it's come back to get them this season. Unfortunately, they've been a mainstay in in the WSL for a long time now, but as Women's football has grown in the country as more and more clubs have put money into the women's game. And as we've seen, like they're not linked to a Premier League club. So that might have a, an impact. Reading's men's team were also relegated, so there might be a knock-on effect there. Budgets are starting to play such a massive part in in the progression of women's clubs uh, at the top level now. So, yeah, it's, it's been a shame to see, to see Reading go. But hopefully, uh, if they can kind of keep keep a crux of their team together and Kelly Chambers still involved potentially then maybe we'll see them back after just a year Uh, but yeah it will be tough the championship is becoming ever more competitive but yeah hopefully we'll see them back soon. 
Well, let's move on to that because you talk about keeping the crux of the squad together and you mentioned Kelly Chambers. I mean, those are those are key issues that we need to discuss because Kelly Chambers in next month, I think her due date uh, because she's pregnant is about a month's time. So she's going to have to have some maternity leave. So do Reading try and hold on to her and keep her because she's been so integral to the club to get them back up? Or there may, might be a side eye on West Ham at the moment because Paul Koncheski has departed the club after they finished eighth. So they're in need of a new manager. So that's one conversation we can have. But also when you said the crux of the squad, I'm thinking Deanne Rose, she's not playing in the championship. Do we think Emma Harris, Grace Maloney in goal? I was trying to look through the squad at the weekend to work out who who might be poached from other clubs. So, so yeah, what do you think they're going to be left with? Yeah, I don't know. It's always tricky after relegation, isn't it? Because some players will feel a loyalty to the club to try and get them back to the WSL. Others you know, will want to move on. So that's that's the the difficulty that they will face, especially if there's uncertainty around the manager. That always plays into players' minds when they're looking towards their future. So I think that's going to be, you know, it's going to be a really important few weeks, uh, a month or so, as they kind of recalibrate to the fact, that, you know, that they're in the championship next season. Reading were the only club this season not to be linked with a Premier League club. Next year, though, two clubs won't have that link to a Premier League team. Leicester City, after the men's side got relegated, Bristol City, you've come up, they don't have Premier League support. Does that really affect their chances? Does that automatically mean, Harriet, for you, oh, Leicester and Bristol will be towards the bottom? No, not necessarily. I don't think there's any real link between where a women's team finishes in the WSL to a Premier League club being attached to them. I think, you know, they've Bristol City have done an incredible job to, to get back up to the WSL it'll be great to see them back at the top top level again I don't know what do you think in terms of whether it makes any sort of impact unfortunately I think in the top flight there is too much leaning on the contributions from the men's side I would like to see the game getting more sustainable and I think that should be the priority for the next four to five years is trying to work on those sustainable models and also offering support to clubs so that they can do that. But actually, I feel like it's going a different way where we've now seen Arsenal announce that they're going to have five games at the Emirates Stadium. I think that will put a bit of pressure on the other top sides to try and do that as well. And I just don't know for the whole of the league whether that's a model that's sustainable at the moment. You've got some towards the top that can fill out stadiums or get over 40,000 and then we're getting 4,000 at other games. So I just think that they need to address that. I do think it plays a part. I don't think when it comes to performance that it's critical. Do I think that they will be down towards the bottom of the table? Yes, I do. I think credit to Willie Kirk for the job that he did because every single one of us, we do these predictions on this show every season and part way through and at the start of the season. And look, by Christmas, we'd all written Leicester off. He defied the odds. He went against all of our predictions and a lot of experts as well in the game. So credit to him for the job he's done. They have got a chance now to to build on that, especially with some of those January signings they made because, I mean, Leipzig, for instance, if they can keep hold of her, I know there's other clubs swarming, including potentially Manchester United, interestingly. But yeah, if they can hold on to the key players that they've got, then they could build a little, but where can they go? Because they're, they're looking at doing things, Harriet, like bridging the gap to Aston Villa and Everton. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to bridge that gap. Whereas I actually think Aston Villa and Everton are going to get better. So that that is why I probably would say that. We should actually mention 
Aston Villa, shouldn't we? I think they were. Would we? Would we deem them the, the surprise package of the campaign? Yeah, definitely. I think you know, whenever they were playing the kind of traditional top three, four, they were always the team that you were kind of looking out for in terms of oh, there could be a, a shock result here. And I mean, they they started as they meant to go on, beating Manchester City uh, on the opening weekend. So yeah, I, I've I've been. I'm really enjoying watching Villa this season and I'm looking forward to seeing what they do next season. They recruited really well mid-season too with with Jordan Nobbs and, and Lucy Staniforth coming in and kind of really solidifying that midfield. So it'll be interesting to see where, where they get to next season. Mm, I sat down with Carla Ward. It was probably just after Christmas and she said she'd finished her business of knowing what she was doing for summer and was working on January already. So she's another one working a couple of windows ahead. Uh, their very own Rachel Daly, who we mentioned earlier, she won the Golden Boot. Drops to Daly, who has equaled the all-time record of 22 goals in a WSL season. So Rachel Daly getting 22 goals, equaling Viv Miedemar's record for the highest number of goals in a WSL season, finishing two ahead in the end of Manchester City's Bunny Shaw. What do you think it is about Daly that that got her this award? Was it the being on penalty duty, being the big fish in the smaller pond? What do you think it is that makes her thrive there? I think she she adds the, the quality of finishing that perhaps... Uh, Villa have, have missed out on in the last couple of seasons and she scores different types of goals as well. Yes, she's been on penalty duty and she scored a lot of goals against kind of one team in certain matches. But the two goals that, that she scored against Man United a few weeks ago were incredible finishes and very difficult. So she has that kind of quality touch to her as well that, and she's good in the air she's tenacious you just never really get a break when you're playing against Rachel Daly and I think that's that's something that's made her and Villa so difficult to play against this season. Okay well we will leave that one there. Aside from the results and awards it's been an incredible season for record crowds and viewing figures as well. Uh, there's always more ways to improve but to chat all of this through I did catch up with the FA's outgoing director of the women's professional game Kelly Simmons and this is what she had to say. Kelly, what a fitting way for us to end our season by looking back with yourself on what has been a monstrous season in Barclays WSL. I know that you probably could reel off figure after figure, record after record. I even I got a press release for this. I knew about loads of them already and there were still more things on there that I didn't realise had been achieved this season. But for you, what stands out? Well, it has been a record-breaking season and obviously, you know, we were under pressure really after the success of the Euros to make sure we capitalised on that. And, you know, I think, you know, the clubs have stepped up fantastically in terms of record attendances and and record audiences. What was the planning like behind the scenes off the back of the Euros success to be able to really make, make the most of all of that new eyes that we'd got on the game, all of the viewing figures and translating that into viewing figures for the WSL? I think that work started really well before the Euros. Obviously, the deal that we did with BBC and Sky was fundamental because that gave us a platform to really build those audiences. And so having sort of a mixture of pay-per-view and free, free-to-air meant that we were really set to capitalise on the audiences because people could access and, and, and watch 
the WSL. And then in terms of the Euros, it was about working with the clubs to make sure we were ready, putting our uh, biggest games in the best slots, working with the clubs to encourage them to put the big games in the main stadiums. We've invested more in marketing this season, so we really uplifted our marketing budget to help drive attendances. And, and you know, we've seen uh, uh, over 100, 170% uplift in attendances. And, and that was a key thing there. We knew that we had to capitalise by getting people through the turnstiles and coming to watch the games. And that's really important for the future growth and development of the game, those match day revenues, building that fan base, building uh, regular attendances is really, really important for the future sustainability of the game. So a lot of focus really around making sure that we were signposting people to the WSL matches and and raising the profile of our England stars in terms of where they play in their clubs and making sure that if you, you know, you love Russo during the Euros, then you knew where to watch her um, for Manchester United, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So really making sure that people could, who'd fallen in love with the women's football during the Euros knew where to watch it coming into the season. I don't think we can underplay either the role that the bigger stadia has, has had. I think when we look back in some years' time on 22-23 season, I think it will be about the Emirates Stadium, that first record being broken in the in the North London derby. They went on in the Champions League as well to, to surpass that as well. And other clubs came on board. Everyone was in it together. It was that collective feeling. We now know that Arsenal are going to have at least five fixtures next season at the Emirates. And this is the way that it looks to be going forward. Tottenham as well doing this double header is that what the future looks like? Will it be a hybrid of, of a women's home ground, which might have a 5,000, 10,000 capacity with also using the biggest idea for the for the marquee fixtures? I think for the short to medium term, yes. I think longer term, I think the Women's Super League will be played in the main stages because the fans will demand it by the, the sheer sort of volume wanting to watch it. If you think about the growth trajectory in terms of attendances, um, and the opportunities with the Women's World Cup and Olympics and subsequent Euros, big events during the summer to help really amplify. And then, you know, it's hard to work out how quickly we're going to outgrow those stadiums. So I think short term, I think it's about what Arsenal have done brilliantly. What are the big games that we're really going to push? Let's put them, let's make a decision really early, put them in the main stadium. Let's market them as a package and let's really drive attendances. And I think, you know, all the clubs... I'm sure are watching Arsenal and how they've done that. And, and they've really sort of led the way, I think, by identifying early those games and 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 setting out their stall for the season. And it's great to see them announce alongside other clubs that they're going to be doing more games in the main stadium. So yes, I think um it will be a mixture to start with, but I think you know, long term. Yes. And and scheduling has always been an area of uncertainty and difficulty. I think fans got very frustrated probably in some of the years leading up to to this season with knowing where their club were playing and when their club were playing. Do you think that that is in a much better place now and you've settled on the times as well with TV that have worked really well too for fans? Yeah, I think it's it's work in progress. I mean, this is a topic we have with um, the, the fan supporter groups and we have some some great chats and, and I think they understand as well the challenges that we've got because most of the women don't own their own ground and we've got to uh, work on the schedule based on uh, ground availability if their team have played uh, maybe Champions League midweek you know we've got a policy of two clear days as part of player welfare so uh, you know you ideally don't want to go up against you know their men's team equivalent because we've got an overlapping fan base um, so there's all of those sorts of things to consider alongside the TV slots but I think there's been a more regular 
uh, rhythm to that as as we're building our profile. And although some of the fans say to me, oh, 6.45 on a Sunday, we've had some great attendances there. But the big thing is we've had huge TV audiences. So um, that pull through from Super Sunday is, is meaning there's so many eyeballs on the WSL. So I think, you know, the game's still evolving. I think there's still a challenge for football uh, around the calendar and accommodating a brand new, in some ways, brand new professional women's game and trying to schedule that alongside a really packed men's calendar and trying to find those slots um, and regular appointments to view. But I think there's been definitely been uh, improvements in terms of, you know, where we put those big games and, and more regular slots on TV. As well as all of that work that you've been doing, I know the PGMOL have been working hard as well. How close do you think we're getting to having a a fully professional setup when it comes to officiating? Well, it's about money, isn't it? So we often get compared, understandably, to the Men's Premier League, which is a multi-billion pound organisation. We've gone from no revenues in 2018 to an £18 million business. But we need to grow. We need to grow revenue. And when when we grow more revenue... You know, it's then about, and, and the managers have, have talked about this, you know, and been, I think, you know, really sort of sensible in their approach. It's about making the right decisions with that investment. Do you invest it in the talent pathway? Do you invest it in the performance environment? Do you invest it in marketing? Do you invest it in professional referees? Do you invest it in VAR? They're all decisions that, you know, the future leadership team and, and the new co will have to make as they grow revenues. So it will come. But at the moment, it's about affordability. What I would say is that when we did the uh, new TV deal with Sky and BBC, we top sliced that money to start our partnership with PGMOL. And I, I uh, described Bibiana Steinhouse, who came over as the best signing of, of women's football, um, who's you know who's one of the best female referees probably ever, who's come in and been able to sort of impart her wisdom and her knowledge and 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 a strategy to support those referees around performance and psych and all of those things, you know, that they need as well as their technical development. And I think, you know, others will judge this, but it feels to me that um, this season people have been talking less and less uh, about the decisions of the referee. And that's because we've been investing in a fantastic, fantastic bunch of people who do an incredible job, incredibly difficult job, and they do it incredibly well. And I'm really, really proud of them. And, uh, you know, then subsequently we've, we've had officials you know, selected for the World Cup. We've had officials selected for the Champions League final. I think that says something about the quality. But, of course, they deserve to be full time and they deserve that technology back up for those big decisions. And that does need to come, but it needs money. Mm. I've already hinted that I think perhaps one of the seminal moments of the last season has been that that big stadium and filling in the FA Cup crowd as well to have a sellout. I think that was huge. But... What do you think has been the moment of the last 12 months that really might have changed the way that the game is viewed forever? Can I have two? Yes, you can. You can have two. Well, I think, you know, I've been at some of the games at the Emirates, which I think showed the world that big attendances, big atmospheres can happen at women's domestic games. And I think that was a really uh, important moment for the WSL in terms of its, its development that actually women's football you can sell tickets you can make a profit you can build a brilliant atmosphere there are you know lots of people and lots of families who want to come and see brilliant football and I think the other thing for me you know we set an ambition in the women's professional game strategy to sell out the women's FA Cup final by 2024 a few people would raise their eyebrows uh, when we did that when was that too soon 
no, let's be, let's have a big ambition. Let's go for it. And of course, you know, we did sell it out and what a fantastic day that was. And, you know, that competition will only continue to, to grow and grow. Thank you so much for your time. And also for the legacy as well, Kelly, that you're leaving behind. You've done tremendous work behind the scenes. We really appreciate the work that you have done. And um, I hope that's not the end of, of what we see from you in the women's game either. Hopefully we'll see more of you to come. Absolutely. Um, it's been a privilege to work in football and in the women's game, work with some fantastic teams. Absolutely love working with the, the clubs and our stakeholders and I still in, intend to uh, to be involved and, and supporting uh, in the future so but I'm just going to I'm going to be WSL's biggest fan and uh, we'll be at the games watching but with a bit less pressure <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra the official beer sponsor of the NBA want to get closer to the game than ever before Michelob Ultra courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. That was me speaking to the FA's Kelly Simmons, who is leaving her role after 31 years at the FA. And for all of us that are enjoying women's football and the fruits of it, we have a lot to thank Kelly for. Uh, so the WSL is all wrapped up, as is the Frauen Bundesliga. Bayern Munich won 11-1 against Potsdam on the last day of the season to beat Wolfsburg to the title. And if you haven't seen yet the guard of honour that they do in Germany, <laughs> Bayern Munich men's team were in Lederhosen doing a guard of honour for the women's team as they came out. Cut to later, Georgia Stanway in her Lederhosen singing Sweet Caroline. Loving these images. Not sure she'll look back on that with... Uh... Uh, happy years necessarily but um, yeah it, it, incredible scenes there and what what a way to win it 11-1 on the final day the way that they've linked both of the teams it was just genius absolutely and I, I, I know we spoke uh, briefly earlier on about uh, teams being linked to men's clubs and things like that that's the benefit of it as well is, is the profile and and just those kind of scenes when both teams win titles like as Bayern Munich did this past weekend gone and then you know Barcelona uh, having the open top bus tours with both teams uh, through the city I thought that was incredible too I'm glad you mentioned Barcelona it's the Champions League final on Saturday in Eindhoven and the Athletics Laia Saveo is with us to preview this one between Barcelona and Wolfsburg hi Laia I'm guessing this is a busy period for you hello thank you for having me yeah yeah I think it's uh Busy, but uh, also exciting uh, time this this week in, in Barcelona. I think it's important for for the club just to try to reverse what happened like, last year in the final of the Champions League. So yeah, I think it's quite a, an important week. Yeah, and what you're referring to there last year, it was a three-one defeat to Lyon. In fact, it's Barcelona's third final in a row, losing twice to Lyon. They beat Chelsea in 2021. What has the form been like? in the last 12 months since that final, have you seen enough to think that Barcelona are in a better state to be able to win this one? Yeah, maybe I wouldn't say like a better state like physically because uh, they were last, last year, they were on top of, in that in that uh, sense. But I think they have learned so much uh, from that final 
because they are stronger now, I think, in like in a mental way, because they lost their first game in the in La Liga. Uh, I think it was last last week from uh, till sorry till 2021. 20, so it's it's a, a a team that it's not used to 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 lose, and when that happens in in a final. It hurts so much. So I think they have learned to just um, make stronger in in a in a mental way, just to know, okay, if things uh, go bad at the beginning of, of a game, just to uh, recover themselves and try to win the game uh, either way. Because I think it's what make the makes the made them weak last last season. I think and I think it's something that uh, Jonathan Hialet had put so much effort to try to to get better in that in that sense. Who are your most important players that you have to have starting in this match? I mean, we've seen Alexia Patea's sort of return as this competition's gone on. And I, I know she came off the bench against Chelsea, but all of what they've achieved, they've managed to do without her. So who have been the the players that have that have been key? I would say Patrick Guijarro, because she's a player that maybe has like a more like an invisible um task to do, but it's so important for the team. I mean, this this year she had to adapt herself and play as a an insider, uh, and she normally plays like a, a, like a as a defensive pivot. But it's like one of the main players for for the team because it's the one that ha- that gives gives them like the balance between defense and attack. And I think it's it's very important. And of course, Caroline Graham Hansen. I think it's one of the most decisive players in in the world. So I think both of them are really important. And also Aitana Bomati, who is a player that uh, have this this year we we, we saw her um, much as a leader, uh, which is something that we were hoping to see from her from years. But having Alexia just being like the, the leader of the team. You can be, you can have two of them. So I think Aitana just knew it and ha- had taken that role uh, this year, and I think it's important also. I must admit, I am expecting a one-sided final here. The stats do not look good for Wolfsburg, do they? Barca have beaten Wolfsburg 5-1 on aggregate in the semi-final last year. Uh, Wolfsburg uh, won twice in 2013 and 14, but since those years, we've seen other teams come on so much. And of course, Lyon were the the dominant force for so long. They've lost three finals to Lyon in total. I'll bring Harriet in because I feel like we should have a positive somewhere for Wolfsburg, Harriet. Can you give us anything? Yeah, I mean, Wolfsburg have the top scorer currently in the competition in Eva Puyol. And to be honest, like their performance against Arsenal uh, across the, the semi-final was, was really impressive in, in a lot of ways. Even though, you know, they went 2-0 up in the first leg and it was Arsenal pulled it back to 2-2. Going to the Emirates, that was a, an absolute cauldron of atmosphere and they came through it uh, and they played they played some good football as well so yeah they've got a few positives uh, on their side and and Wolfsburg might go into it as underdogs but I think they won't mind that too much and you know Barcelona still have a job to do. Uh, finally we're counting down for our World Cup squad announcements so the Lionesses one is on Wednesday everyone wants to know who Serena's going to be announcing I imagine it's a stressful time as well for some of these Barcelona players because a lot of them will be wanting to be involved but you just look at how well Spain have performed recently there's going to be competition for places isn't there yeah, competition for places and also like for the difficult situation they have in the national team right now. Uh, I think the collab will be 
between uh, June 9 and June 12. So I think it's going to be a, a bit late for, for Spain. They are trying to uh, solve the situation they have with the 15 players that asked not to be in the national team. Uh, mm-hmm. For what we know, uh, all the players but Mapi Leon has, had asked uh, the national team to come back, but the national team hadn't said anything back to, to them. I think uh, for sure, some players will be like Alexia. Uh, for sure, will be in the in the in the World Cup. Also, Aitanaba Mati. But there are uh, a few players on the, on that 15 players that I'm not sure. I'm not that sure that maybe they will be in the collapse. So it's a stressful situation for for the players because they don't know when they are going to be on holidays this year. So something that is very basic, but obviously something that uh, also affects in the in the in the way that they are playing also and the way they they are just seeing the future because it's like the world cup it's so near and they have to say to, to know what they are going to do because they haven't played in the national team since uh, october so it's a situation and we shall see how how it goes yeah, a lot to still work out there. A lot of eye rolling from me going on as I was hearing about that. You just want you want these players to be able to know what's going on. And, and the broadcast rights is a whole other thing as well that's been going on for, for fans who want to watch it around the world. Anyway, um, thank you very much for joining us, Laia. And good luck and I hope you enjoy Eindhoven. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, we will also have reaction to the Lionesses squad announcement, which is on Wednesday in next week's final Athletic Women's Football podcast. So join us for that. That is it for this week, though. Um, thank you very much, Harriet, for joining me. Ah, thank you for having me. Been a great season. To producer Sophie as well, who's put these shows together seamlessly week after week. I could not do this without her. It's hugely about the team and uh, that team is Sophie and I on most weeks. Um, So thank you very much to you, Soph. Also to you for listening at home. Uh, We will be back next week with our thoughts on that England World Cup squad, the Champions League final as well, some reaction to that. But for now, we'll leave you Chelsea fans to celebrate. Everyone else can turn off. But for the Chelsea fans, you can digest what has been an incredible WSL season. What a season it was. Now, this week, as you all know, sadly, Queen Elizabeth II passed away at the age of 96 after 70 years on the throne. May she rest in peace. And of course, that did affect the footballing calendar. We should also talk about the fact that Emma Hayes was missing for this one, uh, the Chelsea manager having an emergency hysterectomy because of endometriosis. and that does not look good. Beth Mead, you can see, in trouble and getting treatment off the pitch. The 2022 
BBC Sports Personality of the Year is Beth Mead. Well, she's just come on and she's lashed one into the back of the net for the other harder. That's Bunny Shaw! There's the inevitable Bunny Shaw goal. Drops to Daly, who has equaled the all-time record of 22 goals in a WSL season. It's Sam Kerr, this could finish it, and Kerr off the post, and of course she's finishing it off. And that's it, it's all over. The contrast of emotions, elation and devastation, share a pitch. It's a glorious four in a row for Chelsea. The Athletic.